Today is September 3rd, 2021. This is episode 137 of Back to Normal. So let's get started. All right, in this episode, I am going to be picking up where I left off last week. This is going to be part three of my Vote Compass um, walkthrough, overview, um, kind of question analysis, um, as well as providing my answers to the Vote Compass questions. Um, the last two weeks, I, I realized I probably should have added a link to the actual Vote Compass um, in, in these episodes. So I'll try to do that this week, unless I forget in the next half an hour between recording and posting. Um, but something I was thinking about this morning, and I, I also want to talk about briefly before I answer the questions, I also have something else to talk about. But I was thinking about this this morning, thinking about having to do this um, today. And I wondered to myself, because I don't think I saw it in the Vote Compass when I was doing the, this Vote Compass two or three weeks ago, which is that I don't think you have a way, like with the Vote Compass, obviously you do, you do like statistical analyses and things. Um, and at the end, it shows you in comparison to the other political parties, like kind of where you fall on different axes and what the political parties think. But one thing it doesn't show, and I, which I'm now curious if it, if actually, if the data exists, is whether the Vote Compass site actually shows you the data about the popularity of various people's positions, like just every, everybody aggregated across provinces or whatever, whether it's broken down in that way or if it just shows you your own information and um, the information that like the political parties have in their platform or the answers that they provide to these policy questions, because I think it'd be really interesting to see what the majority kind of opinion is, whether there's a popular opinion or whether it's kind of split between. Because um, for me, obviously, there are some questions and I'm, I'm like, I'm sure everybody doing the vote compass, you never align exactly with a political party. Like that seems like it would be kind of weird if on every single question you aligned exactly with one single political party. Um, and so I'd be curious to know, like, do like are my ideas the, the popular opinions or do I have some opinions that are unpopular? Um, like I'm assuming the ideas don't just split exactly along party lines like that. You don't have that breakdown. Um, some some ideas, some policy ideas in politics surely have a lot of popular support and just haven't happened yet because it's they're hard to implement or there's not a lot of political gain to implement them. I don't know. It's it was just a question that was that occurred to me. Um, I'm going to have to do research. Maybe next week I'll follow up because I'm not going to do it now. I'm not going to do it live. Maybe next week I'll look into it and follow up. Um, as to whether that's a thing and whether it's a thing that's available, because I would be really curious to know. So one thing I quickly wanted to talk about before I get into these six um, vote compass propositions that I'm going to be doing today is this discussion, the new discussion that's come up about vaccine passports in Ontario. So we found out that like where we heard like this week, um, the Quebec vaccine passport came into effect. And it's this really simple thing on your phone that basically just says, yes, um, I've gotten both vaccines. It's like proof of vaccination on your phone. Um, Theoretically, I think you're able to also print something out like I would hope that it has some kind of QR code that can be scanned or something that can be scanned um, so that it's not just a piece of paper that says, yes, I'm vaccinated. Um, yeah, effectively, <laughs> I saw this race today and I've been thinking about it a lot, too, is like the enforcement of a vaccine passport is really interesting because a lot of the places where you would theoretically want one quite a bit, um, it would either not necessarily in some cases it'd be really tricky to enforce the one I'm thinking of is like football games where there's literally 10,000 people, um, 15,000 people in the stadium all at once. Like, are you checking 15,000 vaccine passports as you go in? Because if so, the only way to really do that is to do it the same way that they check tickets 
for the football game, which is they have a scanner, like either they just blindly rip the tickets and like barely even look at each one um, at the gates, or they have a scanner, like a specific ticket scanner that they use to scan the ticket. And so it takes like two seconds and you see, yes, it's valid. Yes, it's valid. Yes, it's valid. Like if they, if, if the apps, the passport apps or whatever it is, do have a QR code that you can scan, like are the, are the people just going to be carrying two scan? Like the logistics of deploying a vaccine passport are actually quite complicated. And so I'm very curious to see, because if you want a passport that is still effective, that's actually effective, um, it's going to take a lot of thought. It's going to take a lot of figuring out how it's actually going to work logistically. So I'm really intrigued to see how it's going to come out. Like basically the idea of a vaccine passport is almost as effective as, even if there's no enforcement, is as effective as having, um, yeah, is as effective as having a vaccine passport. Like you don't have to enforce it in order for it to still be effective. It would be more effective if it was enforced because right now, basically people are getting the shot because they feel they're going to need it. Um, but I suspect in a lot of cases, it's going to quickly kind of become a thing that's well, not really necessary. Like nobody's going to check it, but it's still going to be something you need to have every once in a while if they want to check um, until there become kind of like laws where where people are asked, like they have to enforce it or like people are going to come like bylaw or whoever. I don't know who it would be um, would come and check passports for you like this. It, it's all very weird. Um, basically, vaccine passports work, work really well when you're repetitively going somewhere or when you're going somewhere only once in a while. But if you're going somewhere that needs a passport all the time, it's tedious. It's really like it's a long time. Like if you're constantly switching countries, like going back and forth, you need a passport all the time. And it's really tedious to go through and check, even though passports do have this thing that you can scan and quickly like read in. Yes, it's a valid passport. Yes, it's got photo ID. You can check everything that's all legit. Um, so if the system isn't like that, I could see this becoming something that a thing that doesn't really become enforced all that well or doesn't become checked all that easily. Um, but I'm happy to I'm happy to be wrong and see that that is the, like they come up with a system that does work. The, the testing um, protocol or not the testing, sorry, the vaccine um, system that allowed you to actually get the shots did work really well. Um, so I'm curious to see what happens with that. Hopefully these places have been thinking about this for a while and have come up with a good way to do it. Um, but that remains to be seen. So um, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to move on to my six propositions from the vote compass, starting with again, these are in the order that I did them in. Um, so yeah, they might be in a different order when you do them, but uh, eventually I'll get through all 30. <laughs> and um, so I'm going to start with what I got as Proposition 13, which is how much should be done to accommodate religious minorities in Canada. And to me, this is a really weird question, as I am not a religious person at all, really. Um, I am familiar and I've, like, I, I have people in my life who are involved with various religions. Um, I take, took part in, <laughs> take part in religious ceremonies. I go to church sometimes. Um, I haven't been in church because I wanted to or like that I was really the the initiator ever I don't think um but last time I didn't actively like <laughs> um I'm trying to think of because because yeah I really haven't actually I've been to church of my own volition before I've always gone because I was not I want to say coerced because I wasn't really coerced but I've gone because other people wanted to go and um yeah I basically I don't really like I sit and I listen but I don't really participate at all I've never taken communion or anything like that um so yeah, I would consider myself a religious if if I had to put a label on it, um, which I feel like puts me in kind of a good position to be able to answer this question, but maybe not. Like I'm not really biased towards any particular religion. Um, I do feel right now that a lot is done to accommodate religious minorities, which is, a, I guess, a good thing. Um, there definitely shouldn't be like persecution of religious minorities as compared to whatever the the religious majority is. Um, as happens in some other places that um, might be currently having some issues with abortion south of the border. 
Um, so yeah, basically I, I said about the same as now for this question. So I don't think really much more or less should be done to accommodate religious minorities. I know there is already quite a bit that's being done. Um, obviously there is a lot of religious discrimination and racial discrimination that goes on that associate the kind of loosely associated with religion. Um, like things like mosques, um, being targets of hate or violence or, you know, vandalism, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, this to me is a weird question. Like in one hand, I feel like I can be unbiased and say it's about the same as now, but I also don't really have a stake in this. So it might not be that I'm not, it might not be the best person to provide an answer to this question. Um, but basically, yeah, I, I it really annoys me how much religion plays into our everyday lives even though we are supposed to theoretically in, in like a Western democracy have separation of church and state, that's just not a thing that actually is possible to do in the current world. It'd be kind of nice if it actually could be, but it's just like, that's not the way the world works. And so, um, yeah, I'm left with basically, basically saying, I think um, religious minorities should be accommodated about the same as they currently are. I wouldn't push for much more and I definitely wouldn't push for much less. Uh, the next one's proposition 14. This is a, a uh, good one for me. Like this is a very clear answer for me. Um, proposition 14 is all semi-automatic firearms should be banned in Canada. Now I feel very, very, very strongly about this and I very strongly agree. There's no reason I don't, I don't like it. Honestly, Canada is a country that has a lot of people and a ton of space. Like we, we, we have, we're not a large country, but like 35, 36 or whatever million people. Um, I don't know how out of date those numbers are. It might be 37 million for all I know by now. Um, we have a ton of land, like our population is not very dense. And so there are a lot of people that live rurally, like extremely rural. And for those people, I don't think owning firearms to hunt, like a hunting rifle, for example, I don't think there's any realistic way to ban those because like in a lot of times it's either self-defense against animals, against wildlife, or literally, you know, hunting for game and that kind of thing. Um, but on the other hand, I strongly feel that like even handguns should be banned. Um, I definitely feel like automatic firearms and semi-automatic firearms should all be banned. I don't really feel like there's any reason to have a gun that's not basically a hunting rifle. And again, I'm not, I don't live in the world of guns. I don't know anything about this, but I know I, <laughs> I see statistics quoted all too often that people who have guns, if they, if they intend to have them to defend themselves from humans, much, much, much more often than not, those guns are only ever used by accident, by somebody you don't expect to use them, and on somebody who you care about also. And so for all those reasons, I don't like there's no real good lawful reason to have a firearm, in my opinion. And I would be totally fine if every gun in the world was just destroyed instantly. And we had no more guns. Um, yeah, I feel very, very strongly about that. And uh there's not really a thing that's going to happen to change my mind. This is a really easy one. This question itself is fine. Like, um, it's a very, it's a very clear policy thing. Um, yeah, very clear on that one. That one's easy. Proposition 15 is, uh, <laughs> this is just a statement. So some provinces pay more than their fair share to support the rest of the country. So these are, um, by the other official name equalization payments. Um, so this is the idea that some provinces have more natural resources than others and more, Therefore, more money once they sell those natural resources to be able to take in more than they spend on their their own economies and whatever the case may be on their people and, and services and all that. And 
so some provinces, Alberta being one of the main ones, I think Ontario is also um, one of the have provinces. They're, they're usually defined as like have and have not provinces. Um, and those provinces end up paying equalization payments to the smaller provinces or provinces that don't have as many resources just to be able to kind of balance things out to give each province in the country an equal footing. Um, yeah, so this proposition itself says some provinces pay more than their fair share to support the rest of the country. So this is the idea that um, have provinces are paying too much to other provinces in order to equalize the economies and all, all the balancing that happens. Now, I said I somewhat disagree with this statement um, because I don't really feel like provinces pay more than their fair share. I don't know. I also don't know a ton about equalization payments, but that's kind of the idea of Vote Compass with all these questions is that you're intended to answer whether you know a lot about it or not. So I do really feel like um, I honestly feel with this question, like it it is in desperate need of some kind of context, some kind of contextual information to show what amounts, like what the size of the economies, the various economies are, what kind of natural resource stuff in it, like what kind of economy they have and what the equalization payments are for each of the provinces. I really feel like that would be helpful um, to figure out how to answer this question because my, like basically I'm going off of a gut feeling that this is probably fine. The equalization payments, even though they feel unfair, are actually meant to make things more fair. We are, after all, a country. Alberta is not its own economy. It's simply part of the Canadian economy. There's this whole thing, um, this whole big question about that. Um, but yeah, basically, I feel like this question could use a ton more context, but I somewhat disagree that provinces pay, any provinces pay more than their fair share. The next question, question proposition 16 is, how much tax should large corporations pay? Now, this question, to me, honestly, I find the question of taxation very, very um, fraught for a lot of different reasons. And, and one of the main ones is that everybody is kind of touchy when it comes to money, when it comes to taxes, especially. Um, obviously, nobody wants to pay a ton of tax. Like the only people, the only reason you would ever want to pay tax voluntarily is because you know that it's kind of going to services. It's going to, you know, to do to provide things for people who um, especially people who don't necessarily have as much money to be able to provide services for themselves or pay for services for themselves. And so I honestly do feel like at this at the same time as I think large corporations should pay more tax. Um, I also feel like um, there's a certain kind of when it comes to companies of a certain size, um, p companies like the big telecom companies, it feels like their profits should be capped like it's almost like you should only be able to make a certain amount of money even though like these are publicly traded companies it really feels like they shouldn't be like I, that that's basically the agreement is that they should become common carriers that's kind of the idea of of um what some people are proposing that for these large telecommunications corporations is that they should basically be government owned or government run or whatever the case may be um it, basically that they're they they receive a bunch of money like investments are made by the government in their infrastructure to build out, you know, network capability, network speed, all this kind of upgrades and and like billions of dollars are poured into these corporations. But the government, um, the government and people never really get that back. They get to make to make use of the um, the technology. But basically, once that money is put in, you never see it again. You never it doesn't come back out in the same amount in the same way. And especially in Canada, there's this long running discussion about how much we pay for wireless services, for internet services in comparison to other countries, mostly wireless services, um, like mobility services, um, especially for data. 
compared to other countries, it's extremely expensive to get a decent amount of data. These Those things are starting to change, starting to come down a little bit. But honestly, the problem isn't that um, the problem is kind of, I guess, that they're that they're charging a lot for data. But the other problem is, which is kind of starting to go away, is that they were being super stingy with the amount of data that was being given. It used to be that one or two gigabytes of data in Canada was was like a good wireless plan. And um, we're at the point now where the big carriers are basically <laughs> they're charging a lot more money, but they're also giving you a lot more data. There's just no ability to have um, a data plan with one of the big three carriers that has less than 30, like 20 or 30 gigabytes of data for a month. And so they can they can kind of justify charging more in the same way that a restaurant will put more food on your plate and charge you more money because it's cheaper to kind of cook it and make it in bulk and charge you more. Um, these corporations are having an easier time charging you, for example, like I, my my phone plan is 80 bucks a month and it gives me 30 gigabytes of data. Like that's a much better deal than I was getting before when I was paying like 60 or $70 a month for like two or three gigabytes of data. Like you get 10 times more data and it's only a couple, uh, like 20 bucks more expensive. I'm off topic here. The question is how much tax should large corporations pay? I feel like their profits should be capped. So either they can like, because basically it all comes down to profits. Like you're only taxed, you're taxed on the amount of money that you make. You're not taxed on money that you spend. Um, And so honestly, I feel like corporations need to have some kind of mechanism to either limit the amount of profit that they make. So like they can only charge a certain amount above, like to get a certain profit margin. Or if they are in, like they can charge whatever they want, I guess. That's the other the other option. But then they are taxed at a higher rate. And so that, those mon- that money that's being collected through the business then, then ultimately gets taxed and comes back into society, into the economy. Um, into government services that that's kind of how i feel and so i for the for to answer this question i said somewhat more um tax large corporations should pay basically because i think that it's kind of laughably low i don't know i don't know that large corporations should pay much more tax it feels like they probably should but i'm not in a position to be able to know that and so again this question could probably use more context just to say say what the tax rates are for large corporations in comparison to individuals or small businesses or whatever the case may be um it always feels like to me that large corporations could pay more tax, but exactly how much more I'm not in a position to be able to to make that judgment because I have no idea. All right. Proposition 17 is that all Canadians should have access to government funded prescription drugs. So this is the idea of a national pharmacare plan. This has been proposed for a long time, mostly, I think, led by the NDP, although um, I think other groups like the Green uh, Party, for example, might be on board with this plan. Uh, but national pharmacare is something that that would, I think, really benefit just kind of having a simpler system, not having to worry, just basically covering everybody um, for prescription medication. So like basically, if your doctor says you need something that you don't have to pay for it. Um, and so so, for example, there, there are some provinces like Ontario, for example, does have a lot of drug coverage, like prescriptions are they tend to be covered, um, although it's not all drugs. Um, so this is basically taking the provinces that have a good publicly funded prescription coverage system and basically applying that across Canada nationwide at the same rates and the same, you know, all the same levels of uh, funding. So I put that I strongly agree for this. Um, I don't, I can't think of a good reason, like a compelling reason personally, why anybody in a, in, you know, a prosperous economy, um, a country that, you know, does very well for itself positions itself as a as a leader in the world as a progressive leader why you should be able to 
go to a doctor, have the doctor tell you that you need a certain medication, be willing to put their license on the line for that, and you still needing to pay for it, no matter how expensive it is. Honestly, I feel like if a doctor is going to prescribe something to you, medication, that why would you need to pay for it? Like, why would that be a thing? Um, I haven't had that experience in a long time. I know there are certain things um, that you end up having to pay for that aren't necessarily covered by OHIP, even though they are they are prescribed by a physician. Um, and so private insurance, I assume, would still cover those kinds of things, even if there was a national pharmacare plan. But honestly, just strongly agree. I think there are a few governments, um, a few parties that are that have put this in part of their platform or have said that they they agree with the idea of a of a national pharmacare plan. Um, so I, I yeah, I'm completely on board with that one. That one uh, straight ahead for me. Last one here. So Proposition 18, the last one that I'm going to do for the day is how many immigrants should Canada admit? And this question right off the bat, I'm reading it again. I haven't looked at these questions in a couple of weeks. How many immigrants should Canada admit? The first thing I say, it's asking if should we do fewer, should we do more, or don't know about the same. I don't know how many immigrants Canada admits. <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea. And the, having that information on this question would be super useful for context. Um, compared to other countries, how many immigrants we admit, compared to how many apply for immigration status, I have no idea about any of this. So I put again, I went with a gut feeling and I basically said somewhat more. So this kind of comes down to, for me, this comes to, to a policy question. How are, open are you to people immigrating to Canada? And I am obviously very open. The only reason that people would want to come to Canada is because they see what our lifestyle is like or they've heard what their lifestyle, uh, lifestyle is like from people who've, who've immigrated and want to be part of that too. Like I said, this country has a lot of natural resources. We have a lot of land and we don't have a lot of people per square kilometer. So Canada can accept more people in it. We can accept more immigrants. We have lots of room. Um, honestly, you, you could found entire new cities and have resources to be able to build all that stuff. Um, yeah, that I don't like... I find it so hard to come up with a, a reasonable argument that Canada should not admit as many immigrants that has nothing to do with xenophobia, racism, et cetera. Um, like basically a white supremacist society, white supremacist construct. Canada should admit more immigrants. We should admit as many immigrants as want to come here. I don't see any problem with that. I have no issue with that whatsoever. Um, I think that our immigration system that we have to screen immigrants for potential issues, um, I think is totally fine. And does its job. I don't think we really have a problem with with immigration in Canada, and I'd be happy to see more of it. Especially like especially now, like we're talking about um, the government in Afghanistan falling um, to the Taliban. So there's a lot of people fleeing Afghanistan right now. I think like those obviously those people obviously aren't even immigrants. Those people are refugees. Um, we should obviously take those refugees should be allowed to immigrate here. Yeah, effectively, um, I'm completely on board with um, Canada admitting more immigrants. I put somewhat more here because, again, I have no context for how many more. I don't know that we need many more, but like as long as we continue to, to take uh, immigrants while they want to come here, I have no issue with that whatsoever. Uh, so that's it for the six um, vote compass questions that I'll be talking about this week. Next week, we're going to have uh, six more. There's only two weeks left. Is that right? That seems ridiculous. Yeah, basically, basically two more weekends. Uh, oh, no, I guess three more weekends, three more weekends, because this weekend hasn't really started yet. I'm recording this on Friday night, posting it on Saturday morning. There's two more weekends after this coming weekend, and then, then we have the election. Um, yeah, there's some questions coming up about free speech, um, pandemic money, like the CERB uh, benefit, 
proof of vaccina- vaccination for public events. So that comes down to that vaccine passport again. Um, yeah, the personal um, carbon tax and uh, minimum income. I have a lot to say about minimum in- minimum income. I've been talking about basic income for five years now, at least. And um, I have a lot of thoughts about that. So this episode has gone long enough. I want to thank everyone very much for listening. And I encourage you, if you haven't yet, go and fill out the Vote Compass. I think it's just votecompass.cbc.ca. Um, it's a website, but again, I'll try to put a link to it. Um, and I'm mentioning it again, so I'll probably remember. Um, but uh, thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.